I want to welcome everybody who's watching us online. Guess what? You're probably not here, but uh, that's okay. Second best is better than nothing. Uh, first best is being here, there's no doubt about it, but uh, it's great to have you join us as well. We are in the, actually today is, today is, uh-oh, we got a problem. Houston? There we go. We are going to finish, it's Romans chapter 16 today, we're going to finish the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church. And uh, what's great about this letter is he's not writing like most of the epistles, most of the letters he's writing to solve problems, that you know how Christian people can be off in one thing or another. He's not doing that. He's writing this letter because no apostle had ever been to this church, no church leader from Jerusalem had ever been to this church. And he's writing a letter, basically, basically it's this, talking about Christian truth. What is Christianity? Romans is all about what is Christianity? And, and here's what's so interesting about everything in life, and, and, and Christianity the same way, that when we believe or we, 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 we learn some stuff and we believe and then we kind of drift from it a little bit, every one of us have a habit of going off a little bit or adding our own opinion to it or our own, our own experiences kind of go this way and then we see something on TV and go, oh yeah, that's a good idea too. And we kind of, we kind of get off track. It is good for us once in a while to get back to the original. What is this thing, Christianity, all about? We've turned it into all kinds of stuff. Look at all the denominations we have and all the differences and everything. Christianity is so simple, I don't know why we are bent on making it complicated. We just are. Christianity is so simple. And you know what? The, the letter to the Roman church makes it so clear how, how Christianity is that simple. And, and basically, I'm just going to kind of recap really, really, really quick in a, in a minute or two kind of what we've went through through all of these 15 chapters of Romans. It starts out, and Paul makes us very, very clear, very clear, that every single human being sins. We all know that. We, we get it. We just think our sin ain't as bad as somebody else's. Well, in a relationship, it probably isn't. But to God, anything that isn't purely righteous and holy as God is, is sinful. And here's a big point that Paul makes in his letter it's about Christianity is this, that every single sin is condemned and judged. And if you and I have sinned once when we were three years old and never since then, of course, that's not true, but if we did, you can't deal with that sin. What is that? That sin needs to be judged. We can't make up for it. We can't undo it. So basically, he's making this, all mankind is sinful and all sin must be condemned and judged. It must be. It's not a mean thing. It's just what has to happen. It, it, it's just God is too holy and perfect and right to be connected in relationship with sinful people. And the next point he makes, and he goes over and over in these things, the next point he makes is this. There's only one way to be right with God. It's that simple. One way to be right with God. And that is to put our trust in what Jesus did for us. Because what Jesus' whole mission was this. He who knew no sin, Jesus, perfect God, who knew no sin, became sin for us. Jesus took all of our sin upon Himself as if He Himself committed it. That's why we don't have any guilt anymore. That's why I didn't do it. Jesus did it. He took it on as if He Himself had committed it. He paid the price for it, the punishment and the wrath against sin He took upon Himself. So that you and I could be right with God. We could be seen by God as pure and holy and perfect. And he makes this point 
several different ways. And he, and he comes down to this, and this is so crucial. I don't know why we forget it sometimes, but we need to be reminded. If anyone tries to be right with God in any other way, they will miss out. He says, especially, and he talked about the whole Jewish uh, his, history of the, of the Jewish nation and stuff, God's chosen people, holy people, all that stuff. He says this, they were cut off from God, separated from God, because they trusted being right with God by observing the laws of God. And he makes this crystal clear. If any human being tries to be right with God by following the laws of God, we're cut off from God. Why? Because nobody can do that. It's that clear. Nobody can do that. Paul goes into it several times that, hey, what, what the Ten Commandments does for me, it proves I'm a sinner. It doesn't. Ten Commandments, I'll do them all if I try really hard. No, you won't. You're going to fail. They're good commandments. They didn't mean, to, they're not bad. They're good. They're from God. They're God's character. But they reveal to every one of us, we fail, we need saving, and that is through Jesus Christ. Anybody who trusts in their own behavior and observing God's law will be cut off from God because we can't, we can't be that holy. And then it goes, this, this is so important. I mean, this is, this is the simplicity of Christianity. We all sin. We're made right by Jesus Christ, not by our works. And then, this is, this is huge. The message was two weeks ago. This is really huge. Because of what Jesus did for us. The song we just sang. Because God loves us so much. And Jesus did what He did. He took upon Himself my punishment. Because of that, we should live different. We don't have to. Our lives can be miserable and still be right with God. But He said, because of everything God did, we should live differently. Hey, think about it. Because of everything God did, the natural response is to say, well, God, I want to serve you. I want to follow this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And then it goes into a big thing that Paul talks about in Romans is this whole idea of uh, everybody doing their part, this unity, everybody doing their, their thing. We didn't actually cover it specifically in a message, but uh, if you've been reading along, you would have read through that, that you know, we all have different gifts, we make up one body and all that stuff. And hey, it's all, it all comes together with that. So today, we're going to end with uh, chapter 16 of Romans. And I believe this. If the Apostle Paul was standing here, you ever wonder what he looked like? Okay, it doesn't matter. He didn't look like me, okay? Little old Jewish guy. Okay. If the Apostle Paul is here today, I believe he would say this. Not matter of fact, I'm sure he would. Batman isn't real. <laughs> Think, where's that coming from? If Paul was here today, he would say, I know some of you people are really into this superhero stuff, but he would say this. No matter how, much, how many cool gadgets Batman has, no matter how cool his car is, no matter all the technology and the computers and all the money and every, everything that Batman has, here's what he would say. Batman can't rescue Gotham City. He can't. Why? Because all of that stuff and all of those abilities, and I mean, okay, the guy's got some abilities. There's no, no doubt about that. And he's got some cool stuff to work with. But no person by themselves, even Batman, can't do and accomplish what needs to be done. No one person can accomplish it all. It takes a lot of people to really accomplish 
the mission or whatever, whatever it is. Whatever, you know, trying to, he's trying to save Gotham City from some bad guy. No one person can do it. As, as awesome as you think Batman is, he's not that awesome. He is not that awesome. Gene, you hear me? He's not that awesome. Okay? Batman isn't, isn't even real. Reminds me, because I, 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 I'm really into this, I'm going to talk for a couple minutes just about Apollo 13. You saw the movie. I was 10 years old when that happened. In uh, April of 1970, this Apollo 13 mission, and I, I watched some before that. I, I mean, I was just glued to the TV and the news because I was just so interested in I mean, the, the concept of just what they were doing and they're going out in space in the early days. Nowadays, we have, we have so much more technology, but back then, I mean, this was like unbelievable that three guys would get on the top of a, of a nuclear bomb, basically, and, and blast that sucker off with millions of, of, of pounds of, of torque and, and shoot them off out into space. And hopefully they meet up with the moon out there somewhere. You know, it's just amazing. This, this Apollo 13 mission, though, as you, as you know, had a problem. They were 200,000 miles from Earth. Imagine if you were one of those guys. You are 200,000 miles away from Earth, long ways from home. You're traveling at 25,000 miles an hour. Mind-boggling. 25,000 miles an hour away from Earth, so far away, on your own. There it is. Everything's with you. And then a order from Mission Control in, in Houston, Texas, comes up and says, uh, we need to do a cryostir on the oxygen tanks. And basically what that was was a fan that blew these gases around, kept, kept it mixed, um, and every once in a while, it was a routine thing that they did. And so it comes up to do a cryostir and push the button to do that, and there was a little spark, an arc, from that fan, and it caused an explosion. And this is where the movie isn't really accurate with what really happened. The movie said, Tom Hanks says, Houston, we have a problem. I should have played for that role, huh? Houston, we have a problem. I think I'd have done good at it. But anyway, that's not how it really happened. What happened was Mission Control sent up to uh, Apollo 13 and said, hey, you guys, you guys have a problem. What's going on up there? And that's when they said, we've had, Houston, we've had a problem. We don't, they don't even know what it was. They didn't know it was an explosion. They didn't know it was, but they're going way off course. All their lights and buzzers are going off. And they basically think we're going to die right here. It, it just went and, and we're going to die. So they, they work all, uh, you know, they get calmed down. They try to get back on course because it blew so far off of course and all that stuff. And uh, Gene Krenz, he's the key to all this. Gene Krenz says this. We are going to do everything we can to get them back home. He, he basically said this. Failure is not an option. Now he's talking to a room full of mission control people who are monitoring every aspect of this flight. And he's telling them that failure is not an option. But from everybody there, these three astronauts in the capsule, all of the people in mission control, they all knew this is impossible. We are doomed. We are not going to get back. But Gene Krenz, interesting, that he was personally friends with all of these three astronauts. 
He had worked with them in previous missions, and they'd been a part of NASA for a long time. And they were friends. And here's what he knew. He knew that uh, two of the guys had families. One of them, uh, his wife was pregnant, actually. The one guy wasn't married, but, and he had personal friends. And here's what he knew. My friends are going to drift off into a black darkness and a horrible, lonely death. Can you imagine knowing your friends are 200,000 miles from home? There's no rescue mission. There's no way to get, I mean, what, what are we going to do? And, and everybody looked at, like, this is impossible. Listen, they, they only have what they have. Half of their oxygen tanks were, were gone. They needed oxygen, this is something maybe you didn't know, to live, okay? They needed oxygen to breathe, but they also needed oxygen to power their engines. That there was oxygen was fuel for that, and they needed that to power their engines. So all of their power and their very lives depended on this, and, and they were out, and they were losing it fast, and they did not have enough. They did not have enough to go and come back. So they had all these decisions to make. But here's what Gene Krenz did. He said, failure is not an option. So, I want you to call in everybody. Mission Control ran around the clock. They had three shifts. And they said, I want all three shifts in here right now. All of them, the whole time. You guys can go and take a rest, but I want this worked all the time. Not only that, true story. He actually had them call in every manufacturer that made everything on, on that uh, uh, Apollo rocket and that, that, that um, capsule that they were in, that spaceship. Everybody in who had anything to do with manufacturing it, designing it, working it, because here, here's this whole point. Failure is not an option, so we need to get everybody involved to make this work and to succeed. And that's what he did. He got everybody involved thousands of people involved to bring these people home. But it's his attitude that he wasn't Batman, okay? This Gene Krenz had a great attitude, but he knew no matter what the astronauts did, they could not save themselves and they could not rescue it. No matter what mission control could do, if they did everything in their power, it would not do it. He knew this. If we are going to succeed, it's going to take everybody involved and they got everybody. If you saw the movie, it's fairly accurate. It was really even more intense than that. But here's what happened. I don't know about you, but I mean, I've been into this my whole life, and I mean, I've just always been interested in it. This to me is the result of people with an attitude that failure is not an option. We will do what seems impossible. When we commit ourselves, we all get involved. And this is what we're going to do. Commit ourselves to this. Failure is not an option, and it brought these guys home. And the Apostle Paul, in the, the very last chapter of this letter to Romans, he writes something that you, you hear about rarely. And maybe you've never even read it. Maybe you've skipped over it. But here's what he writes, and he understands this, this concept Excuse me. This concept, he understands failure is not an option with this mission of drawing people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Failure is not an option. So we need to draw everybody in. 
Here's what he says. Just some of what he says. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Centria. Centria? How would you say it? I say Hugo. Okay. This, this Phoebe, uh, uh, Paul was writing this from Corinth, and Hugo wasn't far away, and we think that he was writing this letter and he was going to give it to Phoebe, and Phoebe's the one that was going to deliver it to the Roman church. So he says, hey, I, I commend to you, uh, and he says, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Paul knew he wasn't Batman. He needed more people. He goes on and he says, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Paul is ending his letter to the Romans saying, hey, I'm not Batman. It took so many people to get this message to you. It took so many people involved. He goes on and he says, give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for you for your benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who were in prison with me. We don't hear about them much. We don't talk about them much. We think, oh, the Apostle Paul was Batman. No, he wasn't. It took everybody. There was, he was in prison with other people. There were other people involved in this mission of drawing people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says, they are highly respected among the apostles and, become, and became followers of Christ before I did. They understood failure is not an option. It wasn't just the Apostle Paul. It, it, it was these Christian people who understood that failure is not an option because it comes down to this. It, and it, it does. And I think sometimes, and I want, to, I, I want us to just take a moment and just really, let's think about this. Can you imagine how scary it was for those three astronauts? And they are so thankful. Matter of fact, they, they were publicly thanking the thousands of people that brought them home. They were powerless to do it on their own. It took everybody. And it's the same with Christianity. That imagine a death, how scary and terrible it would be being off into space. I don't even know if we can fathom a human being dying in eternal death, in a darkness, in a hopelessness. There is no other way. There is no rescue. It is eternal. And I think that the Apostle Paul understood this, and he's trying to get this across to you and I. If you and I have an attitude that failure is not an option, we can be a part of rescuing people from eternity, from an eternal damnation away from God. And I think that sometimes we, I don't know what, we just think, well, it'll happen anyway. Or Batman will do it. I mean, well, maybe the pastor will do it. You know, oh, maybe, you know, some organization will do it. Some... Here, here's what 
Paul's trying to say in his, his letter is this. We all need to help if we're going to succeed in this mission. I love how Shaheen puts it. He says, the church is option A, and there is no option B. There is no other plan, there is no other way for God to reach people than calling Christians to be fully engaged in this mission to bring people home safely. He goes on to say in, in this last chapter, basically saying, there is nothing more important than this. There is no greater purpose than this in human life. Now, all the glory to God who is able to make us strong just as my good news says, his, his gospel as Paul was in ministry. He says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed His plan for you Gentiles. That this message of Jesus Christ is the only way. There is no other way. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time about, about Jesus. But now, as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey Him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. He understood. Paul understood that failure in this mission is not an option. This message of Jesus Christ there is no other. There is nothing more important. And I know, I understand how easy it is for us to get busy in other things, for us to believe in God and we have a relationship with God and to go about our lives. But to just think for a minute, there are souls that are going to be lost for eternity unless we rescue them. No, Jesus did the work, but unless we do, there is no other way. This is the greatest mission. This is all that matters. This is what counts. This is what God desires our lives to be about. This is what we're about. We do other things to eat and clothe ourselves and have relationships and all that, but this is the driving force. This is what Gene Krenz did, it woke everybody up, said, everybody get in here. We are all going to commit ourselves to this mission not being a failure. We are going to commit ourselves to that. This is what we're going to do. And I think it's God's desire, it's God's plan for every one of us to have the attitude. Failure is not an option. Imagine, imagine if the rest of us said, we don't care about your loved ones. It's crushing. And when I think about it, I just think, what kind of a Christian would I be if I didn't care about your loved ones being rescued for eternity? Or care about your coworkers or your children or your parents or your brothers and sisters? This mission to God is the greatest thing he has for us is to know and experience him and then engage in this mission of drawing people into a growing relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Christianity was never meant 
to be a spectator sport. It was never meant for that. Now, I know we all have different gifts. We all have different things. We all have more time, whatever. But here's the point. Not what we're going to do and compare each other and how much we serve or how much we give or how much we do. That's not the point. The point is this. How committed are we to rescuing people who are in outer space with no hope and no chance unless we work together and take all of our resources and all of us involved to reach and rescue them? And I would ask you personally, are you, do, are you willing to get on board with this rescue mission? Are you willing to? I'm not asking you how much or where, it's none of my business really. But just are you willing to engage in bringing a part of this rescue mission to reaching other people and drawing them home safely? It depends on us. They can't do it on their own. It will fail. There is no Batman who can do it all for us. It's going to take all of us. If you are committed, if, if you understand that rescuing people's eternal lives is, is that important and want to be involved, Paul has one final thing to say in this letter to the Roman church, and it's so important. He says this, and now I make one more appeal. If Paul was there, he'd say, now I'm going to beg you to do one more thing. If you're on board, I beg you to do it. If we are going to be successful and bring them home, one more thing. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. He says this. This mission that we, failure is not an option. We've got to complete this. There's one last thing I want to tell you. Then don't allow any divisions. Don't. This whole unity piece, this unity thing is pretty much what most of the other, the rest of the Bible is about. It's about knowing God, being right with God through Jesus Christ. And then it's about all of these other instructions to get along with one another, to treat people better than yourselves, to forgive one another. All of this stuff is about unity. All of this Christian growth stuff is about unity. Jesus, before He left, one of the most passionate things in the garden, before He was arrested, He was praying to His Father, Father, I pray for them. I pray for this church in North Branch in the future. What, what did He pray for? That they would be unified. That was his prayer, that they would be unified. Why unified? Because then the world will know that they are from me. The message will get across. They will be successful in this mission if they are unified and together. And if somebody is not unified, he said, I have nothing to do with it. Don't get involved in this stuff. He explains a little bit further. Such people are not serving the mission of drawing people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. These people that cause divisions, they're not about the mission, they're about themselves. He goes by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent people. He is talking about unity 
And what works against unity is selfishness. That's a tough one because we're all selfish, aren't we? When it comes to this mission of rescuing people's eternity, we must be unified. And in order to be unified, we cannot have our own way. It can't be about me and about what I want. What's really interesting when when this Gene Krenz, the director of this, this, whole sh- uh, this whole mission, he said, failure is not an option. We need to call everybody in. When they were discussing things, it's interesting reading if you want to find out. It, it was just so interesting how all this came about. He didn't know what to do, but he asked the professionals. He asked the people around him. The person that was in charge of electronics, in charge of oxygen, in charge of, uh, of the computers, in charge of the direction they were going, in charge of the motors, in charge he, all of them together. And he said this, said, what are we going to do? We have a couple options here. Are we going to turn them around and come straight home and maybe they can get here while they still have some oxygen, which they found out later they couldn't if they didn't? Do we turn them straight around? Or... Do we let them continue at 25,000 miles an hour to slingshot around the moon and come back? They're going to be out there for four days without, this, without the, all this stuff. For four days, what are we going to do? It's not that everybody, everybody had different ideas. Unity doesn't mean we don't have different ideas. That he had people come to him and said, yes, we need to do an about face right now. Well, we can't power up the LEM because then it might explode. We don't know what the things. Well, well, then do this trajectory. Well, that takes too much time. We don't know. And they had, not everybody agreed, but here's the point. Once they had decided on a plan, everybody was behind it. There is no example, at least it's not written about, where somebody said, they didn't do it my way. I'm out of here. You know what? Screw those three people. I'm out of here. They didn't do it my way. Do you want them rescued or do you want them rescued your way? We just want them rescued. And the key to this whole mission was that once a decision was made, everybody worked towards that decision. Everybody was involved in making that plan work. And there was hundreds of decisions like that. And they were all in, in unity. And we can't allow selfishness. How much more important is this mission than three astronauts physically dying? It's way more important. And if we're going to do this, if failure is not going to be an option, then we have got to do it together. Which means two things. We all need to be a part of it. And we need to be in unity. Doesn't mean we can't share our differences. But once a decision is made, that's what we support and we get behind. Think, think about this. How, where would the church of Jesus Christ be in America? Because we know it's not doing a good job. How much better of a job could we be doing in America? How much more moral fiber would America have today if the church hadn't been so selfish over the last 200 years? Think about it. I remember a time in this community when every church was full. I remember a time. Every church in this community was full. Unfortunately, right now, most of the churches in this community are barely holding on. Why? Why? I believe it comes right down to selfishness. 
we care more about us than we do about them. We care more about... I don't know how many people leave churches, not just this one, all churches. Well, it's not my way. They didn't listen to me. I don't like how they do this. You know what? They turn the lights down in here and they got these bright lights and they got music band. It's not a performance. It's, what? Pick your thing. They don't dress right. They don't... Shaheen kind of talked about this last week. Imagine where we'd be today if you and I understood the seriousness of this mission and we became involved and unified. What if all of us had this idea that failure is not an option? What would it look like if you and I had failure is not an option? Your loved one not knowing Jesus Christ is not an option. We are going to do whatever it takes. We're going to do as much as we can. We're going to reach people. We're going to be in front of people. We are, we are going to provide things for our community. We are going to do this together so that we can draw people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I'm just curious about where we are now. If Paul was here and wrote a letter... What would he say? Who would he include in, in this church? Yeah, give my greetings. If Paul was here and now he's somewhere else, he, he would write back. Who would he? I'll tell you what, as I think about this church, who would Paul include in his letter? There's literally hundreds of you. I mean, I, I just think it's so great. I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, but uh, I mean, this church is amazingly active and there's so many. It's something you probably don't know that most of everything that goes on here is done by volunteers. Do you, you ever walk through this building and if today's your first day, you wouldn't notice this, but maybe you would. But this building is huge, 24,000 square feet. It's always clean. Can you imagine how much we spend on janitors to keep this clean? Nothing. This whole building is clean all the time by volunteers. Why? Because they understand failure is not an option. There are people in the nursery, which, thank God, if I was in the nursery, we would make the news, I'm sure. Uh, there are people in the nursery every service, every week, every time. And Paul would say, yeah, greet the workers in the faith that make this possible, that have, that have struggled and worked so hard beside me. Our whole children's area and youth area and the whole band and technology and there's, there's just, it goes on and on and on with all of the things where people, it would be a long list. Paul had 29 people in his letter to the Romans. He would have hundreds of people here. But would your name be on that list? Would your name be on that list? I wonder... And this, this is something we need to think about beyond this service. And that is this. How many more people would be rescued if we all got involved and said, failure is not an option. We will do whatever it takes to rescue people their eternity, their eternal life, and do that. How many could we reach? How many could we make a difference in? Way more than if we all don't get involved. So I want to end this by just asking you to consider
this attitude. There is nothing more important in our life than the mission of rescuing people's eternity from eternal damnation. And if you and I together have this attitude that we will not fail, how much could we do? One more thing. Who is that one person that we would say, um, sorry, I, I, you'll just have to go to hell? Oh, maybe a bad way to say that, but who is that one person that we would say, I'm not willing to really help and commit? Who is that person? None of us would, we can't. Let's pray. Father, I, I could just talk about this all day and Lord, failure is not an option. I know from your perspective, you are, you are leaning over, looking at every Christian in this world, saying, please have this attitude that failure is not an option. It is not. We cannot just let people die. We cannot just let people go into a godless eternity. We can't. Help us at, in this place, us here, help us to have that desire to reach every person possible. Lord, every one of us, we all have different gifts. We all have different lives. But there's one thing we all have in common, and that is a purpose in your mission. May all of us be drawn to engage in that mission, Father, I pray. I pray and ask you, Move in my heart, move in all of our hearts to be a part of bringing people home. In Jesus' name, amen.